Hi, my name is Dylan Kerr, and you're listening to a podcast by Dylan Kerr Addiction Therapy. Now, the upcoming podcast is going to be something slightly different than what I normally talk about. I'm looking at at the counselling and drug and alcohol treatment in the UK from a very political perspective, and how sometimes that can get swept under the carpet. A phenomenon which has picked up fierce momentum over the last decade or more has been a new global social code of socialising problems and privatising profits. That's going to be the nature of this recording that I'm going to talk about. Now, back in the United Kingdom, Mr. David Cameron, the Prime Minister of the time in 2010, said that there was going to be a big push towards a big society. This meant that the government wasn't going to get involved on how society wants to tackle social problems. It was dressed up as a libertarian, anarchaic, power to the people stance. Some got even rather excited about it because David Cameron had been quite fiercely opposed to the nanny state of Brown and Blair, Gordon Brown and Tony Blair, and also the sacking of Professor David Nutt in 2009 by former Home Secretary Alan Johnson. Professor David Nutt was sacked for saying that ecstasy and other hallucinogenic drugs were not as harmful as their legal classification. David Cameron and others in the Conservative government voiced concerns that science wasn't being used to lead policy and the Labour government was making more of a knee-jerk reaction. Since 1997 and Labour's appointment in office, they introduced a dragnet approach to drug crime. The effect was that it devastated communities and criminalised ordinary people and further added to institutionalised racism. And this was because of the mere possession of narcotics. Anyone who was caught by their police on the streets was given a criminal record or a caution. It's worth noting cautions are pretty much the same as a criminal record. They do stay on your record for a very long time and you have to disclose them at any given point. The Conservatives, however, put themselves as a party of talking about the problem realistically. They outlined a vision of putting the money into the hands of the community to deal with the problem rather than the Home Office and the Home Secretary. It all seemed very promising, and information began to come out that David Cameron was actually a cocaine user of past. So perhaps he might have a softer view on them and be more proactive in undoing the harms that the Labour Party had done in the previous 13 years. Alas, Big society was merely a smokescreen for a serious, unprecedented decline in treatment within the UK. The drug and alcohol action teams that were responsible for the allocations of services and monies towards treatment were disbanded 
Parts of the services were swallowed by the NHS and other parts were sold as scrap to the most low-balling bidders out there. A lot of people get angry with the Tories and their austerity measures over the last 10 plus years have undoubtedly contributed to the deaths of many people through their policy of fuck'em. But in order to get a handle on this and see how this has come about, we have to look back throughout the years of the Labour government and their own personal failings of in government and direct betrayal of the people. The downfall of the Labour Party can often be described with one word, and the word is war. They needlessly exposed the UK to severe security risks in order to ride shotgun with the United States of America into Iraq. They sullied their own name and they sullied the name of their fellow countrymen with the blood of Iraq. Public opinion was high on not getting involved within the Iraq war of the early 2000s. UK already had a shameful past of conquest. Adding Iraq to the list stirred great resentment and animosity within communities in the UK and around the world. It was by far not a good look. The Labour Party also set up a policy of selling the family silver. Social housing began to rapidly decline in urban areas such as London and Birmingham. They afforded the, the tenants the right to buy their house for an incredibly low sum of money. Four bedroom council housings were often sold for the price of around £8,000. Within a matter of years, some of these houses have been back on the market in overcrowded areas selling for up to 100 times the price they would like to go for. This led to a housing crisis by 2010, just as soon as the Labour Party were leaving the scene of the crime. Labour Party set the perfect pathway for further austerity. Since the 2000s, there have been big technology companies that have rapidly expanded across the world. These corporations adopted similar tactics through cronyism and favours that are not only able to avoid paying tax, but they're able to borrow money from the public purse to set up shop and dominate the market. It seems inexplicable in ways if you have to observe it objectively. Some of the technology is good, of course. Some of it needs to be embraced, but at what cost? Hopefully, listening to this, you would have come this far, you may be wondering, what does this have to do with counselling? Now, it's worth noting counselling is now becoming sort of a quasi-religion for the church of what's happening now. And you might be thinking, well, isn't that a good thing? And the answer is unfortunately no. Time and time again, I see jobs for fully qualified people to come and volunteer their time for, for, to work for people in need. Now. This sounds good in principle, and I myself have done voluntary work when I was unqualified. And I don't want to sound mean-spirited or contrary, but I grow very weary by this inability for the UK government to recognise counselling as a bona fide means of treatment for biological, sociological and psychological disorders. It's not just a governmental issue either that devalues counselling. Many charities that operate, operate for social concerns often ask for volunteer counsellors. I understand they're struggling, 
but there's no such thing as a volunteer counsellor. They're effectively asking somebody to spend tens of thousands of pounds on their education, various accreditations, training and self-development, and then just gift it to them. Any counsellor worth their salt will have not just done an undergraduate degree and left it at that. They will continually add to their repertoire in order to communicate their skills to an ever-evolving audience. I've been very critical of how undervalued psychology and counselling can be in society. Sometimes I've been met with challenging by my fellow priests in the church of what's happening now with very condescending remarks of saying, I don't do it for the money, which is true. I don't either, but there's a very big difference between the pursuit of money and having a livable wage. Frankly, what's most be, mostly being paid in the UK for therapists is not a livable wage. And within the drug and alcohol field, it's getting decisively worse to the point it's on par with unskilled labor. Jobs going in private healthcare in the United Kingdom are comparable to unskilled council workers. And we are now in a position where we're not valuing this. Now, this is the problem, socialized problems, mental health, wellness, welfare. Fuck them. That's the message coming through loud and clear. And if we look within corporations, we can see the same behavior happening. This is not right, and it's rather ugly to see this. But that's my uh, two cents on it. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this, and I hope you will tune in more for some of my other podcasts. Thank you very much. Well, I hope I haven't scared you off. Now, it's worth noting, as a counsellor, I have... Um, I'm not entirely on the fence when it comes to politics, but there aren't really any good parties that serve a drug and alcohol counsellor. Governments tend to flip-flop a lot on their what they want to do in terms of treating drugs and alcohol. And they also flip-flop a lot on where they allocate funds for treatment. So there's not really a political party out there that I find... Um, worthwhile at the moment in, in making any sustainable change. So I hope you've enjoyed that. It's a bit of a casual one as I'm just getting my head around this podcasting. Um, and I think you could probably tell by some of the noises and other distractions that have happened throughout this recording.